Hey there, and welcome to Thrivers, nonprofit leadership for the next normal. I'm your host, Tucker Wanamaker, the CEO of Thrive Impact. And our mission is to solve nonprofit leader burnout. Burnout is the enemy of creating positive change, and we wanna connect you with impactful, mission-driven leaders so that you can learn to thrive in today's nonprofit landscape. And today I'm joined by both my co-hosts, Sarah Fanslow. Sarah, great to be on the show with you again today. Hey, Tucker, great to be here. And I'm also joined by an impactful mission-driven leader, uh, somebody that we've had the incredible opportunity to work with, Indy Frezzi, who is the CEO of the Independent Center in Colorado Springs. Indy, it is great to be here with you today. Thanks, Tucker. I'm excited to be here. Now, Indy, first of all, I wanted to one appreciate you and appreciate your nonprofit. You've you've just recently been named best nonprofit in Colorado Springs. You're in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and you were just recently named that by the Colorado Springs Business Journal. So as we like to say around Thrive Impact, hi Thrive, hi Thrive to you all. That's incredible. I love seeing that. Um, and I wanted to just dive right in, Indy, into, into the journey because you know we've done uh, quite a few podcasts on strategic planning, but underneath the surface, what those podcasts are really about many times is not just the direction that you're going on, but what's really gone on underneath the surface with your culture? What's the story behind this? And so we really want to just unpack and dive into your story as a CEO and your story as the Independence Center. Um, so you mind if we just hop right in? You ready to go? Yeah, let's, let's do it. So Indy, you know, you've been you've been the CEO for about a year now, I think, right? When was your anniversary? Do you remember? Was it was it's about November a year? 1st? Coming oh, up. it's coming up. Yeah, it's yeah. coming up. That's awesome. Um, and just curious, you know, going back a year, what were you charged with in becoming the CEO? Uh, what were some of the pains that you were brought on to address uh, in your in your new position? Wow, that's a that's a good question to start with, Tucker. Um, we just like know, to dive right in. Just I know, go for right? It. <laughs> Um, I, you know, so I feel like I've been really fortunate. I know sometimes when CEOs come on board, they are charged with maybe changing and, and, um, making a lot of change right up ahead of time. And, uh, I've actually been with the independent center for eight years now. And so seven of those years, I got to see different facets of the organization. I um, started as director of finance. I moved into our home health administrator role. And so I got to see not only the, the backside of the, of the numbers, but then got to work with people and the business side. So, um, and on top of that, we had a CEO for us for 10 years, Patricia Yeager, who really um, brought the organization from a mom and pop organization into kind of the, the, the new world of, of nonprofits. And so her legacy, I got to step into, which was a little daunting, I will say for sure. Yeah. She, yeah, she, she'd been around, she'd been such a mover and shaker. She probably still is actually, uh, but such a mover and shaker around Colorado in general. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I was lucky cause I got to, to walk into an agency that that didn't necessarily need fixing right away, right? Mm. A lot of times CEOs are brought on to fix things. And fortunate for me, I get to just springboard from that foundation that she built. So um, I like to say that we get to move, I get to move the organization from good to great. So mm. um, really appreciate the the leadership and the foundation she built. And now we get to, to springboard. So super excited about that. Um, you know, we, 
we really needed to take a look internally. Um, so, you know, throughout the 10 years, we've been putting programs on and um, maybe some of them were a little mission drift. Um, so looking more at mission alignment and um, really kind of shifting uh, understanding what our community really needed. Cause I mean, even in the last two years, obviously with pandemic and everything else, like our community is always moving and shifting and learning and growing. And we need to be that kind of organization that shifts with our community. And so, um, one of the things that I maybe not brought on, not a pain point, but something to say, Hey, let's look internally first and understand, you know, what are the programs we're good at and double down on those? And what are some of the programs that maybe have um, completed their life cycle and are ready to be sunsetted? Uh, again, just understanding our community need and how we can be more, inf more impactful for our community. So just a different way of leading um, to address some of the systemic challenges that we face as as an organization and, and as a community. Mm, you know, I love about what you were sharing, Indy, is this, this external meets internal, this, uh, you know, what's really going on in the community and also what's going on within our organization and how are those pieces coming together? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious, you've of course had a lot going on as becoming a CEO and have been the CEO, a new role, a new transition. Um, and you just spent time and real resources uh, real time and real resources on this process, uh, this strategic planning process with us in particular. And just curious why, why this process and why now, uh, why was this sort of, as you were talking about really trying to find that bridge between external and internal and being, um, a learning organization as you kind of were saying, uh, why this type of a process? Well, uh, another thing that's unique about the Independence Center is that we've actually had a, a relatively robust strategic planning process when I first started. And then that was one of the pieces of the foundation that, that Patricia had, had really built into the culture. Um, and, but it, 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 it also had some, it needed some change, right? It needed a, a, a different look at it. And so um, I really think that it's already kind of in our DNA to do strategic planning, but um, it made sense that with a new leader um, that you can, can look at uh, your strategic planning process and maybe revamp it, you know, give it some new energy, give it some more, uh, a new light to look upon. Um, you know, our board as well. So uh, we we had a, a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal uh, that Patricia that. first set uh, when she started. And a couple, uh, probably about 2000, not 2021, maybe 2020, um, our board said, hey, you guys have really, you know, check the box. We've, we've established and done well of, of, getting to this BHAG, it was very tactical. It was maybe create some new programs and um, was able to say that, hey, we've accomplished this. And, and so our board really pushed us to say, hey, you need a new BHAG, right? And mm. so we, we have one and we have a new one and it is, it's not tactical. It's very aspirational. <laughs> very aspirational, yeah. Right? So, um, and it's about, uh, 
you know, focusing on people with disabilities, their unique abilities, so that all are known, valued, and included. And um, again, that's changing mindsets. That's changing not just internal internal culture, but community culture. And um, and so we needed a different way to get to this BHAG and you know create a new direction and um, really work on our our actual strategic planning process. So it just makes sense. It's 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 not something that the Independent Center wants to just create a plan and put on the shelf and then readdress mm -hmm. it a year later. And so we just needed a new way of thinking through that. Mm. Mm. Indy, I, I love that. And, and you just gave a little bit of the answer to the question I was going to ask. But for folks who don't know the Independent Center, can you tell us for you know a few sentences about what, what, who are y'all and what do you do in the community? What, what, what is your role? Yeah, I can I can talk about the Independent Center all day, um, but we are in our in our few uh, quick sentences, as you asked, Sarah. We are the local um, organization here for civil rights for people with disabilities. We uh, are a home health agency as well as a center for independent living. Mm. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it is not a place of residence. Right. So most people think independent living, they think of people living in a facility. And that is actually the opposite of what we believe in. We believe in um, individuals with disabilities living in their communities and um, thriving in their communities mm. um, and, and really however they define independence. We're here to walk alongside them and help them get to where they want to be. Mm. I love that. So this this work of the BHAG and your mission are really important, it sounds like, to say, so what does it look like to live into this now with a new leader and in the midst of a pandemic? What, is it, what does it look like for us, for us to do that? And it sounds like that's part of the impetus behind engaging in this strategic planning process in this way. Is that, is that right, Indy? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you had such a, I'm, I'm curious about um, the process that we went through. You know, your BHAG, most organizations we work through, we have to help them sort of go up and go a little bit higher level. Like many times as we're going up into their vision, especially it's like, all right, you're in a, you're in something bigger than you think you're in. Yours was quite the opposite, right? This BHAG was big. It was big, hairy and audacious just to, just to share it again. I know you said it a minute ago, but that the independent center will redefine disability, redefine disability. That's big. Yeah. Uh, to focus on the unique abilities of our community so that all are known, valued, and included. Like the redefinition of disability to not be about disability, but to be about the unique abilities. Mm -hmm. So that so that those who have these unique abilities are able to feel known, valued, and included. Um, and I just loved how our journey was not going up. It was actually kind of chunking it down in a sense. Uh, but I'm curious about this process that we used, which was very much a bottom-up, co-created type of approach. Uh, curious, what what about this approach did you love in terms of really unpacking this BHAG and getting it where you needed to go? And also, what were some things that were challenging? You can start with, with, with whichever one you want to go at. Well, I'll start with what I love because um, co-creation, it's like it's in my DNA, right? So um, with strength binders, uh, harmony and maximizer are two of my strengths. And that's just like a blend of both when it comes to co-creation. Mm. Um, and then, you know, 
we have had a culture of uh, top-down thinking, you know, so the, the leaders of the organization did the strategic planning, but there wasn't a whole lot of um, bottom-up or co-creation. So, um, you know, one of the things that really resonated with me, Tucker, as we were working with Thrive Impact was um, your graph about moving from the voices of the of the mm, few, few who and, have the answers. yeah, the few that had the answers and, and moving to the voices of the many and asking good questions. I mm. think, uh, one of the, one of the exercises that you led us through several times throughout the entire process was, um, the, how might we questions and asking questions and to get to a better outcome. And so, um, I just love that approach as well. We've, we've adopted that in several of our, um, meetings going forward and, and projects we're working on is just asking better questions. So, um, and I'm just a believer that, that, you know, a lot of voices, you get better ideas from voices that you never even mm. thought you would get from. Um, and so why not? Right. So I just, the co-creation and using, allowing voices and, and sometimes, um, sometimes those voices don't necessarily want to come out right away. So that's one of our yeah. challenges was trying to figure out how to identify, um, individuals and, and bring their voices to the table and, and, and let them feel, um, comfortable and, and trust in the process. Um, so I also think one of the things I loved about the bottom up and the co-creation piece is that it just creates this natural buy-in, right? And we all mm. know that buy-in is so critical for change management. And, um, and, and you can find some natural champions when you're asking for the voices. It's just, I don't know, it just makes it, I, I, I hate to say easier because it's definitely not easier, <laughs> but it, it does, um, it lends itself to, to some some natural ways of people participating. Mm. So, and then challenges. Um, I remember Tucker, you and I talking about this a couple of times is just balancing that empowerment versus entitlement. So, mm. you know, sometimes mm. when you bring voices to the table, they might have a, they might have a, a reason behind coming to the table. And so maybe that entitlement kind of comes out and they think, well, if you're going to listen to me and you don't do it right. <laughs> so there's some balancing there um, and, and really validating that everyone's felt heard, but that maybe that idea is not going to be the direction we head in. That's been a little challenging. Um, and then last, I think would just be identifying the noise. Again, there's always going to be people when invited, bring the negativity and, um, and trying to help the leadership team understand that what is noise versus what is um, something to be paying attention to. So, hmm. so that's some challenges. I mean, it's, it, again, it's been a different way of thinking for our culture, um, and the organization. And so just help walking people through that change in itself, um, you know, has brought on a few challenges, but overall yeah. it's been. I think it's been welcoming. It's the staff really enjoy being able to, to be heard. Mm. Well, they, you know, two things come to mind. Oh, Sarah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, Andy, I have a practical question for y'all. And yeah. I, you have a lot of folks who do direct service work, right? They are working with folks out in the community all the time. 
And sometimes pulling folks away from their day-to-day into work like this, it can feel challenging, right? Because folks are like, I have this to-do list that's a million miles long and you're asking me to do something else. How did you manage that tension of getting folks to leave their day-to-day work, especially when it's so people-centered and mission-driven to come do this work that while important in the day-to-day can feel like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. How did, how did you manage that? So I, we've done a couple of things and, and you're right, Sarah. Um, we have a lot of uh, individuals who are doing direct services day in and day out. Um, we've actually, and, and this isn't something we've, we've uh, completely fixed or, or figured out the, the right answer. We're still working through this. But um, we've recognized that as a leadership team, again, we've always, the leadership team is baked in this. We've been doing strategic planning, even the concept, right? And so it makes sense. And so we've even started to just do some some conversation around, yes, we are asking you to, to rise up above the weeds one hour a month, right? Um, and how awesome is this that one, you get to be part of something bigger than just um, your your job, right? That there's something bigger to be part of, and what a skill set to to that we're really investing in you all to um, be able to learn a different kind of skill, right? Because even as a leader, like I can think back, oh, I don't know, five years ago, where um, I was the I was the individual leader, right? I was. I was doing my job and I was getting all the things done. I was checking off the list um, and, and doing the day to day. And it takes a lot of effort to, to get yourself out of that, especially when you're always feeling like things are on fire or um, there's people I still have to help. And uh, so we just take it in small chunks and we know, and we recognize, I mean, we voiced it. We understand that this is a different muscle that you, um, that we're all flexing in a different way. So I guess just naming it. Yeah. And you help, it sounds like you connected folks into the why of the work, not just the what, right? Like we're making this thing, but here's why it matters, not just to us as an organization, but to you as an individual. And I think the other thing, Andy, that I saw you do really beautifully in the process is just what you articulated, which is, you know, the, um, this piece around uh, how it can shape um, an individual's trajectory. And you were just always really clear with folks around, I get the, I get this balance, right? Because I've been there. And here's, here's why and how this shift matters. So I saw you live into that really beautifully helping folks understand the tension and then navigate through it. You know, Indy, I'm, I'm struck by a couple of both what you loved and what was challenging. And there are components of co-creation to your, to your exact point of things like validating the voices to feel heard, even when their idea is not the direction. And I think, you know, many CEOs and executive directors that we've talked with have some of this exact tension. And, and then sometimes like, because at the end of the day, you got to make a decision, right? Mm -hmm. Decide means to kill choice, decide, kill choice. Like it means we have to let go of other choices and other ideas. And, and just out of curiosity, one is how did you do that? And was it still worth it for, for you to go down this co-created path? Cause you mentioned co-creations in your DNA, um, and is top down easier. Maybe is like top down easier at the beginning, but in the long game, it's not, or is co-creation 
Like I'm curious about easy and you kind of joked a little bit around easy around buy-in in particular, but this is a, this is some of the tension that we manage in the co-created type of environment. And is that, is that still okay? Does that still make sense? Um, when we have this and, and, and if so, uh, how did you manage some of that and help, help to identify the noise, acknowledge people, help them feel known, valued and included to your point and to your BHAG and at the same time, move forward on a decision that may have been different than what they wanted. That's a lot of question, Tucker. Um, I'm thinking of, um, an example and when you said something about top-down approach versus the co-creation. So um, I will give you an example. We, uh, several years ago, had to rewrite our um, dress code policy. And it was a very top-down approach. It wasn't very co-created. Um, it was extremely specific, which is never good when you're writing HR policies. You always want to <laughs> leave yourself some gray. Um, and, and it was delivered in a way that was not, um, appealing to staff. And at the end of the day, it, it caused so much more work and so much more anxiety and, um, and just was not, there was no buy-in right at the end of the day, there was no buy-in. Um, and then fast forward where, we did a co-creation, not with the dress code, but the co-creation of our, um, we were trying to determine enhancing our vacation policy and our um, holiday policy, um, you know, just giving the, the, the staffing environment that we're currently in. We're trying to be very creative in uh, making sure not only do we hire good talent, but also keep the talent that we have. So for that, um, we did a uh, easy retro board, which is a, um, an open-ended survey tool that Thrive Impact um, introduced us to during our strategic uh, planning process. And um, it allows uh, individuals to go in and you ask good questions, right? You ask, how might we change our vacation policy or ask, ask good questions and you get feedback. And we had, um, we had a tremendous amount of feedback and we were able to synthesize that information, right? Pretty quickly. And then was able to, um, give feedback to all staff to say, Hey, here, here are the themes of these great ideas that you gave us, the ones that we're not moving forward with. This is the reason why, right? So that I think that validates people like they heard me. And this is the reason why my idea is not going to be moving forward, right? And some of them were easy because they were like, no, this is against the law. We can't do things like this. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and then, you know, we ended up with a, a co-created enhanced vacation policy that for the most part, let's call it 95% of the, the staff really appreciated, right? So, mm. um, so I think that I just, just a different way to frame it. The top down approach was draconian and kind of shoved into everyone's face and said, this is what it's going to be. And, um, and then we had a really hard time with it. It kind of created this negative, um, aspect to our culture. And so, 
that I guess that that I just wanted to give like those two examples of the what I've Great. experienced here at the Independence Center and and how they they um they worked out so much differently. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm, and then the beauty great. of that that is that at the end, not only are they bought in, but they all already know the policy, right? <laughs> you don't have to say, oh, please read that email. And didn't you get that email? Because you know what? They know it. They know it. Yeah. That's the other thing I love about that. Yeah, yeah. good point. I like mm. that. That's great. No, thank you for sharing that. Because I think that we have natural tensions inside of whichever direction we want to go. Mm-hmm. And, and part of this, to your point around earlier around getting away from the few who have the answer or yeah, away from the few who have the answers into the space of engaging the many with the questions, uh, where the voices can hear each other. Yes. Which I think is such an important factor when they can hear each other. It's almost a more transparent process. Um, that, that pain on the back end of needing to validate voices and share when their idea is not, you know, when you're going in the direction, that's not where they wanted to go. I like what you said about the nuance around you themed them. So it wasn't like that person's one idea. It was around themes of different ideas, uh, which kind of depersonalizes it a little bit, yet they can potentially see their own voice in that theme. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I love the the approach that you took with that. That's great. Yeah. And it worked out really well. And I think the other thing about that is that, I mean, I had a few leadership team members that, that did the, the, the changes we were making, um, you know, they, they weren't going down the same path with us. And it gave me an opportunity to do one-on-one with them and just say, Hey, like, tell me more, right. Tell me more. Why don't, why don't you think we should go this direction, whatever that looks like. So, um, I mean, even it just gives you an opportunity when you know what the voices are saying. Mm. It opened the door for conversation. Sounds like, yeah. yeah. Well, I have a related question, and and this is, of course, my favorite question, which is data. You know, what about data? So during I, the process, I know you love data. I, I do, I do. <laughs> we gathered and used a lot of da- data and and leveraged a group that we call the synthesis team, which was your senior leadership um, and some other folks to literally synthesize it or identify what it means. And I'd love just to ask you, what did you and your team learn from the process of synthesizing and applying the data iteratively? What what came out? Yeah, so um, I will tell you that we now synthesize, we feel like we synthesize everything. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, I love it. <laughs> That's great. But it was, um, I can I can remember back when we were first starting this process and, and um, Tucker, you having to um, really kind of help us walk through it there. What's fascinating to me is that synthesizing is really a, a learned skill. Um, I personally thought I was really good at it until the first couple of times we did it. And then I was like, man, I, that's a muscle I do not have, <laughs> especially watching people who do have that skill um, and how natural it came to them. I think for our leadership team, we had one or two people that were really good at it right at the beginning. And for the rest of us, it was scary and it was hard. And, um, it, you know, we all just kind of talked about, oh, like anytime we heard Tucker say synthesize, we all kind of did the eye roll, like, (laughs) oh gosh, (laughs) it's going to be so hard. But I will tell you, um, we just had a board retreat, uh, gosh, I think last month and, um, and man, we had some, we were working on a, a SWOT analysis and we were, the exercise was to um, really synthesize all this information, all these sticky notes all over the place for each one. And um, 
uh, our director of uh, marketing and communications in her group, she said like the, the board member actually said out loud, wow, you guys are great at this. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. So I think we've all turned into kind of little synthesizing machines. Um, but the beginning of the process, when we first started, when it was introduced in that skill set, um, it was hard and scary for a lot of us. And, mm. uh, but we, we grew as a team through it too. Mm. So. I love that point that it's a muscle and that, you know, it, it has to be built and used. And then once you get it, it's hard to stop synthesizing is what I heard. <laughs> yeah. It is. We, we do become little machines at it and we kind of just take over <laughs> We're like, oh, we got this. We can do well, this. <laughs> well, and Indy with that, what's, uh, and I know this is one of our next questions, but specifically around synthesis, what, what's made possible for your team because you're able to do this now because you, you know, cause I think of synthesis as like, sometimes it's deeper listening, right? When you're theming things, when you really understand it, like because you've been able to build this muscle and a board member has blatantly acknowledged it. I love that. It's a great story. And what's been made possible for you because your team is able to do this now? Well, I think one of the things is, um, I have seen that our team, the whole team, right? So I was talking about like one or two people were really good at synthesizing. And like you said, deep listening. And now I feel like the entire leadership team, um, has that next level of thinking. So we're, we're going, we're going a layer deeper, um, instead of maybe just on the surface of, of all the things that we're working on or that we, um, that we work through. So I think it's given us a, uh, a depth in our, in our leadership. And, um, and the nice thing is, again, it's a skill that if someone or when, right, like we all move on to other organizations and things in life. Right. And so now, um, that's a skill that, that, uh, that anyone on the leadership team can take with them. And as we're working through our strategic direction and starting to kind of implement it, we've, um, we've got groups. And so even, or even sharing how to synthesize in the staff level now. Right. And yeah. so now those individuals can, can learn that skill and, and take it with them wherever they're oh. headed next to. So, um, I think it's just, I, I've been excited to see how it's given us a, a depth of leadership that I haven't seen in a lot of nonprofits. Wow. It's like strategic planning as professional development almost, you know, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it's a great thing. It's a great skill, especially if people move on to other nonprofits, right? So strategic planning is so, um, normal, if you air quote normal, yeah, um, sure. in the business world, but nonprofits, like it's pretty rare. I mean, they say they do it, but again, it's one of those things that gets put on the shelf. Mm -hmm. And so they might, they might have it on a piece of paper because it, you know, check the box that the board says, oh yeah, you got a strategic plan, but it never gets, um, really impl implemented or whatnot. So, um, so for those, for individuals who work in the nonprofit sector, um, and maybe don't have that business experience, this is definitely, um, professional development. They can take mm. it on and to their next nonprofit. That's great. I love that. Indy, what else was made possible by this journey, this process, both, you know, from a, a directional perspective, right? We, with this BHAG and being able to chunk it down into smaller bite-sized chunks and 
Um, so, you know, directionally, but also we've already spoken to this a little bit, but, uh, within the culture, within your team, what are some of the things, what else has been made possible because of this work? Um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's starting to give us some common language, uh, around strategic planning. Again, we're engaging every level of the organization, which is different for us. And so, um, really just helping all of our team members, um, engage in the, the bigger picture than just their day to day. Uh, I also think that it's, it's given us a beautiful opportunity to work cross, um, departmentally. And so, uh, we've historically been, uh, a little siloed depending on what, what program someone's working in and so forth. And, uh, this new direction really forces us to, um, to all work together. Doesn't matter what department you're working in or what program you're working in. Um, or what admin function you have. It really is a, uh, a, a full hands-on cross-functional um, teams. Um, I, we talked a little bit about this earlier, Tucker, but just asking questions and, uh, and kind of just um, putting, all, putting all the pieces together with everyone, with mm. everyone's voice. So and then lastly, I think it's given us a new way to engage with our community, right? Mm, and so yeah. um, part of the process that Thrive Impact led us through included uh, um, reaching out to community partners and even just um, people who uh, experience our programs and getting a better sense of what they think the Independence Center is. and how we should be showing up in the community. So it gave us a different way to, to look at um, how we're supporting our community. Hmm. I, I love what you're saying. Like it, it almost became, it was not only a good excuse to connect with your community, but also like a community building tool in and of itself of the process um, helped you to connect in, in, in a deeper way with those in the community that you're serving. Yeah, I think it, I, I both and I think it's um, the community that we're serving as well as our community internally, our, our people that mm. are working here, both. Well, last question for you here, Indy. Over the past few months, we've really been working together on implementation and implementing the strategic direction. And some we're kind of using the analogy of an escalator where Thrive Impact support is going down and your team is moving up and taking the reins. Talk to us a little bit about the lessons you've learned that you can share with others about, you know, once you have this direction, how do you get going and bring it to life? It's great to have a set of words on the paper. How do you move it off the shelf? Yeah. So you're right. Our leadership team is rising to the challenge and we've learned um, so many things from Thrive Impact. One of the things is the, uh, the structure that you all had shared with us and has really been working well for us. And so we have, um, as you all know, but we have pillar groups, right? So we have three pillars uh, to our strategic uh, direction, our, our three-year strategic direction. And so the first thing we did was to identify for each of those pillars, um, some champions. And for us, it works well. We're, we're actually co-champion. So we have two per pillar uh, because we're fortunate to have a, a, a decent sized leadership team. And for that, again, it was, it was uh, the question I asked the team was, where do you naturally want to, what pillar 
grabs at you, which one do you feel could you could put the most effort into? And um, it worked out so beautifully uh, how natural the champions um, found where they're going to be passionate um, to work on the pillars. And then we did the exact same exercise um, with our, what we're calling the implementers. And so that we went out to our staff, to, to all team members. Um, this one took a little bit longer just because the leadership team had been working with Thrive for gosh, almost a year. And so they were very familiar. They co-created those pillars. And so it wasn't as hard. That was one meeting. For our implementers, we realized that it took a couple of times. So a couple of all staffs, a couple of, um, I went to team meetings and talked about the strategic plan and um, to get some engagement. And, and now we have um, a good solid group of eight to 10 people for each of the pillars. So that structure, and then overall, we have um, two process drivers. And so really those process drivers are the ones that are um, at the top kind of uh, hovering, you know, watching and engaging with the champions, but really kind of just keeping everything on track and making sure that, um, that you know, the, the champions are, are working together to understand what right now our pillar groups are all talking about surveys and focus groups. And um, so us as process drivers, that's myself and um, our director of home health. And we're both kind of just making, we, we say, okay, hold on. Did you know that champion one or uh, pillar group one and two are also talking about surveys? So let's make sure we're not, you know, survey, uh, surveying to, to death, all these people that we want to ask questions. So, <laughs> and is surveys the right way and is focus groups better? Like, so um, process drivers are really there to, to kind of oversee, uh, making sure that we're all on this, on the same path and we're not, um, crossing paths and accidentally surveying people three or four times. So, mm. um, it's been working really well. Uh, we've had, you know, the first couple of meetings have been, let's, what's our cadence, you know, we're going to take this in small chunks. What are the next 30 day, 60 day, 90 day plans? Um, and so, yeah, it's been really fun to kind of, kind of sit and watch hover, um, and really watch the champions and the implementers just get excited about the work and, and move forward. So, so that's one of the things, uh, as far as, um, kind of starting to implement, uh, the second one I think is the, what, uh, Tucker will call the skateboard model. And another thing we learned from Thrive Impact, but now we're, we're all talking about, we're only building skateboards. We're not building Teslas. Like, yeah, yeah not even at the scooter. I, although some of my, my pillar groups are at the scooter level already. So, um, and I'm sure uh, either, be, you know, one of your podcasts will talk about that, I'm sure, because it's super, super fun. But um, that's definitely another thing that, that it's, it's uh, shifting a mindset, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of us are, especially a lot of times in the leadership role, you're always just like, go, 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 go. And we gotta, we gotta do all these things and we've got deadlines to meet. And, um, so it helps kind of shift and say, Hey, we don't have to be perfect right away. Right. Like, let's take our time. Um, I'm pretty sure every time I talk about the strategic direction and any kind of meeting I'm talking or to the, whatever audience I'm talking to, it's always about, this is a three-year plan. This is not a 30 day plan. Can we please like yeah. 
you know, cause there's some lofty, um, there's some lofty goals in it. But, uh, so I think that helps people to say, Hey, let's build a skateboard first before we try to build a Tesla. Um, and then um, yeah, the minimum via minimum viable transportation vehicle first. Like, right, right. Exactly. It's, and it's going to feel clunky and that's yes. okay. Like let's learn, let's grow. Let's say, yeah. yeah, my legs are a little tired from going from point A to point B with the skateboard. Can we upgrade it a little bit? Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. So really just kind of shifting, shifting the thinking and, and allowing people to slow down a little bit. Right. So, um, I mean, we still have a ton of work to do, but at the same time, um, let's be mindful and thoughtful and strategic about it versus, um, just throw everything up on the wall and see what sticks. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I love that. It sounds like those three pieces of kind of roles, rhythms, and results are part of what's pushing this implementation piece forward. And then it's living into it with lightness and fun. I, I think one of one of your teams or a few of them, right, were like, let's bring snacks. And, you know, they're putting the rituals into the work such that they're going to want to come back to it. And I think that's such a testament to you as a leader and the culture and the folks there that are like, you know what, if we're going to do this, it should be fun. So let's, you know, bring mm. bring some snacks to the table. Yeah, I also appreciate too, Indy, the space that you've, uh, you you spoke to this specifically around this is a three year, not a 30 day and how much of, of our anxiety, and I'm so curious how much of our anxiety in general is due to hurry, mm. right? Is due to this, like these time pressures that we put on ourselves. And I remember, yeah, we, with you going through that, uh, this yeah we're not we're not going to accomplish this BHAG in three years actually I remember the design question overall was how might we best position ourselves over the next three years in order to achieve our BHAG like that gave even more of a breathing room of the BHAG itself we're not accomplishing that BHAG in three years otherwise it's not be it's not a BHAG right it's not right. big hairy and audacious if it's, it's something we can tackle in three years uh, and I just appreciate the space that you're continuing to remind people of. Uh, in order to continue to go down the path, right, of real learning and real alignment and real buy-in. So that's great. I love that. Well, Indy, this is um, what a joy to connect with you on, uh, on this podcast and and just hear your voice and hear what was, how things went down, how it went, you know, what was the challenges. I love digging into the love and the love to see or the, the challenges that you were really wrestling through. Because I think a lot of EDs uh, and CEOs like you, Indy, have these questions. They have these questions like, how does this really work? Is it okay for us to go down this path of a bottom-up co-created type of model? Um, and I just appreciated your your raw and real answers around this. So um, for everybody who's listening, if you want to check out a little bit more about the Independence Center in Colorado Springs, they're doing phenomenal work. Uh, you can check out a link in the show notes. I'm not going to spill out their URL because it's independencecenter.org, uh, but we'll have the link for you in the show notes. Uh, and also, Indy, we'll put your LinkedIn link in there as well. They can connect with you as well if you ever want to connect with Indy as a, as a great nonprofit CEO. Uh, any final parting thoughts before we go? Uh, any Any final parting thoughts before we go? Um, well, I just appreciate you taking the time. And like you said, the, the CEO burnout is, is always upon us. And, um, what I've appreciated through the entire process is, uh, being able to 
have the grace to slow down and to, um, you know, to recognize that there's different ways of thinking and it's okay to, to try them out really. And, um, I encourage people to do that. It's, it's kind of fun. It's very scary at first, but, um, but I think there's, you know, if you don't take a risk, then you might stay stagnant and, Mm. um, no one wants to be that. So, but thank you. And I thrive impact has, has just, um, really been tremendous in helping us think differently on our strategic planning process. So I appreciate you and Sarah and all the work that you've done for us as well. Mm. Well, We appreciate you. You're such an inspiring leader and I can see it in the folks who work with you and for you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thanks, Cindy. And uh, we'll be seeing you hopefully again soon. I hope so. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. We'll see you at the next podcast of Thrivers Nonprofit Leadership for the Next Normal. Bye. Thank you.